Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host. And today's episode, I interview Will Hams. He is the co-founder of Liminal Wellbeing and a former AFL player at the Essendon Football Club. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of persistence and working towards what you want. Will provides practical tips for footballers going through a challenging time, whether it be a form slump or from injuries. The Essendon drug saga and how it impacted the club. Liminal Wellbeing, the power of positive psychology and developing your tool shed for health. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your strength and power and gain a competitive edge this preseason, hire a Prepare Like a Pro coach and join our individualized coaching package. For more information, head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Will. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a good chat. Let's dive into the very beginning of, of your journey. Uh, the young hammer, take us back. Uh, what what age did you discover that a career as a professional footballer was was going to become a reality? It's a good question. I think, um, I mean, as a little tacker, I definitely always loved sport and loved footy and always kind of aspired to, to play AFL someday, but um, aspiring and actually kind of making a reality and whether I could get there or not was a completely different story. But um, I think more just growing up, I just loved playing sport and loved hanging out with my mates and, and playing with them. So I think for football, we started probably getting a bit more serious um, as I got towards kind of more uh, Gippsland Power representative stuff. So part of kind of the old TAC Cup and now the, the NAB League and getting involved in those pathways was when it really kind of become a bit more serious. And I, I would have to say that I probably sat on the fringes of, of most teams in kind of under 15s and 16s and then wasn't really until the end of my under 16s year that I started to kind of string together some good football, started having a bit more confidence in, in how I was playing and, and had some opportunity back at home in, in sale to, to play senior footy and, and played all right and kind of could compete with, with men. And I think that kind of set me up a little bit for my bottom age year in, in the under 18s and was lucky enough to play some consistent footy there, which again was another little stepping stone into whether I could get there and, and really kind of making some choices to put myself in the best position to try and get drafted at really the end of my under 18s year and was lucky enough to, to kind of go through there and, and uh, work pretty hard and, and put some good steps in place and, and play some good football and probably really come as out of nowhere kind of midway through the year. And then kind of following that, we had a, a pretty good season and um, yeah, was lucky enough to, to get picked up by the Bombers after that. Yeah, awesome, mate. Let's uh, let, let's dive into a little bit more detail about some of those stepping stones where you. It sounds like as momentum built, you, your confidence in yourself grew. And and for young footballers listening in, how important it is to stretch yourself. Like you know, like you said, sixteen year old playing country senior footy. Um, looking back at those moments, were they? Did that really move the needle for you in terms of your development? Those big step ups. Yeah, I think so. I think um, kind of people having confidence in you and then you having confidence in yourself is, is a big part of it. And I think football more so than anything is such a confidence game. You can put everything that you want, all the stepping stones in place, prepare as best as you possibly can and and get out there and, and you lose that sense of confidence and, and your game kind of goes. So 
for me, that was definitely a big part of it. Um, leading into my under 18s year, I definitely made a, a clear decision. I, I remember speaking to mum and dad and said that, you know, I'm going to put everything into to getting drafted and this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to spend my year 12 kind of doing. And they were 100% supportive of that. And, and I can't kind of thank them enough for just kind of backing me as a young person to just go after it. And they even took the step then to, to speak to my coaches, have a chat to my manager about what they could do to support me. And we kind of spent the year really trying to act as if I was already an AFL player. So I was doing recovery on the Monday, getting to the beach before school, doing extra touch sessions. We would get, head down the highway on a, on a Wednesday. We only had one session um, with, our, with our Give Me Power team. And then I'd train on the Thursday um, back local in sale. And then we would head up to Melbourne on Friday and see my physio and, and then start the pattern again after we played on the Saturday or Sunday. So there was definitely a routine. And I think as the season kind of went on and I started seeing the results and, and that was a big confidence booster again and kind of um, got, got put in for the second game in the Vic Country squad um, and then played the rest of the carnival and then kind of set my year off like that. So there was definitely a process went in place and kind of a bit of a clear plan that we set out at the start of the year. And Definitely huge thanks to my parents for, for really kind of putting the faith in me and, and allowing me to really go after it. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and that's such a good insight into your mindset that you had. And like you mentioned, this, the importance of it, there's, there's a team behind the, the player, um, usually in success in, in such a competitive sport and, and to play at the highest level. So the importance that your parents played, and we'll go into your influences um, soon. But in terms of that, uh, intent that you that you mentioned like it sounded like you were pretty strong on it and, and speaking to your parents is that the first time that you actually voiced it to someone that you're like this is what I'm doing and I'm I'm going to give it everything I got this year to to get drafted or at that point was it it was already something that you were you were working towards but you just wanted to take it up another notch oh probably so I actually remember it it was quite funny my brother's best mate was it was around the house and um I remember we were chatting and talking about footy and and Mum goes to to Luke. Oh, Will's going to try and play AFL, and um, Luke class and my brother's mate goes, "Yeah, and I'm going to play cricket for Australia." Kind of fully taking the piss, and yeah. I just like I remember it so distinctly. I was like, "I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong." And I kind of had probably that mindset of I was very competitive. I'm not a big guy, so I had to make sure that that was my drive, and I had to kind of do everything and, and put everything in place to be able to kind of, I guess, get there and. Um, I think kind of in that period was where I kind of felt like uh, this could be something I could go after. And I mean, to be fair, I didn't, there was no reason why I should have felt that way. I hadn't played in the big country squads. I hadn't done any real representative or shown anything that said, you know, I will be a draft pick, but um, definitely having that just confidence and that process in place was a big part of me finally kind of getting there in the end and, and really kind of that determination just to make it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that. And that's, that's a great gem for any, any of the younger footballers listening or maybe parents of, of young kids. I think it's so important to come um, from, you know, the person themselves, you know, for, to, to, for them to really enjoy it and embrace it and get the full experience uh, in this life that we live. If it's coming from your heart and coming from yourself, you're probably going to give it your best shot, um, opposed to you know, external people, you know, putting pressure on yourself. So that's no doubt a, an important factor. Obviously, you've got to play good footy. And, and like you said, you had those stepping stones and you, and you built and worked and put in the work as well to get that uh, end result. Talk us through how, dra- how the draft week ended up for you as well, because I know that was a uh, 
an interesting time for you after speaking to you a couple of years ago about it. Talk us through draft night and how did it eventuate to get to Essendon? Yeah, so I guess kind of post the season, we had a really good year um, at, at Power. Uh, we made the grand final. We unfortunately lost by a point, um, but we, we really kind of set ourselves to, to be kind of in the spotlight. And from there, went off to draft camp, um, tested pretty well, um, was kind of in the top ranges for, for running and a few of the kind of skills drills. So, and spelt, spent, um, sorry, spoke to a, a bunch of clubs as well and, and felt pretty confident kind of going into draft night that I was going to get picked up somewhere. And I guess along the lines, there was um, you know, a few kind of turns. Uh, Adelaide lost some picks. So they were one of the clubs that were really interested in me. And um, I guess kind of going in, you start getting a bit nervous. And I remember kind of the night before draft, um, or, or the day, just trying to actually just kill the day. I remember Tom and I just went and did a running session and we just kept running laps and running laps, just trying to burn energy so I could sit still and um, get through the night. But um, we ended up going to the pub and sat with a couple of friends. It wasn't a big night or anything and then uh, went through and names were getting called out. Unfortunately, my name just just didn't go. And I remember just being absolutely devastated. It was probably at the time, probably one of the hardest things that you go through. As you said, you kind of put all these things in place. You you put all the effort in there. You feel like you're a chance and then it just doesn't kind of fall your way. So um, I guess following that, I was tossing up whether head to school is with my mates up in the Goldie or stick around to potentially try and get a training spot and hopefully get a rookie um, spot as well, which I think the draft was maybe a couple of weeks after, but um, Lucky enough that Merv Kane um, from the Bombers, one of the head recruiters at the time, gave me a call and said, mate, we've got a spot that's opened up. Um, we'd love you to come down, train, see how you go. And um, pretty much that was me. I, I got, on the, got on the car, went up to Melbourne, went to Michael Hurley's place and um, trained for the next week with about six boys who just pretty much went head to head um, in anything. We did time trials, it was competitive drills, it was weights, it was the whole works. It was good fun, yeah, wow. but, but super nerve wracking. It, it kind of just went in a blur. It was just next thing, next thing, next thing. And was lucky enough that, that at the end of that week, um, I got a call from Herdy saying, mate, we're going to pick you up and uh, ended up going pick five in the preseason draft. And yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the best kind of feelings I had again, kind of, having that element of kind of against the wall when you put kind of yeah. competing against others. And it's really is that one-on-one kind of more like an individual sport when we're going through that process, but um, to come out on top and, and then to get drafted and, and go through, I think was probably better than, than even getting drafted in the first place. It really just kind of gave me that, I guess, confidence that I should be here and, and I kind of belong. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. That's a great story. Did, did you have you ever caught up with those other five guys, the ones you were competing against for a spot? I, I was actually, I think I might have been the only one from Victoria. So I remember Sammy Colburn, right. um, to be honest, he was probably going to get picked up before me, um, but then got picked up by Adelaide, uh, Port Adelaide, in a couple of picks before I did. So I, I think I dodged a bullet a bit there. And then um, Dale Garland ended up getting drafted to the bomb uh, to Hawthorne maybe a year later, and and I'm not sure about the other boys, but um, no, I haven't haven't ended up calling up, catching up with any of them. But um, the development coach at the time, who was really kind of putting us through our, through our paces, is is now one of my best mates. So we obviously connected pretty well, and I was pretty lucky that I did that. But um, yeah, no, it was a, it was definitely an interesting time, but um, loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you think you were? Well prepared, but because of the year of work that you did, it almost felt like you you knew you, like you deserved it. You deserved that spot. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I honestly probably couldn't have done any more, um, whether it was in the gym, whether it was running, um, whether it was my skills work, I was just putting so much time into it, even just leading up to that kind of post the season. So I really felt like, you know, if it wasn't going to be then, then it probably wasn't going to be. And if someone's going to kind of beat me on the day, then, then well done to them. So, um, certainly felt that I was kind of in the right position and, um, probably I think you kind of get a feel for it after the first day. We did a lot of testing that first day. And I think a lot of them were probably more of the explosive athletes where I probably had a bit more endurance. So I was kind of getting on top of them in those drills. And then kind of when it got down to the competitive stuff, I think that was certainly contested ball was one of my strong suits. And, um, I was able to kind of get on top of that. And yeah, I think that just gave us a bit of confidence really for the rest of the week. Yep. And you mentioned earlier the importance of having a good support team and those around you that um, build, you know, build your confidence. Um, who, who were your strong influences early days to help, help you during your development? Yeah, I think obviously I, I spoke about my parents. You know, they're, I think, any fortunate um, kid, they're, they're the number one supporter. Obviously growing up in Gippsland and being three hours away from Melbourne where we pretty much spent two years travelling back and forth. We absolutely flogged the Monash Freeway and you know, they dedicated so much time and, um, and effort into supporting not just me, but my brother Tom as well in, in our sporting endeavors. So um, certainly mum and dad were, were a massive influence. I think um, down at Gibson Power, uh, Peter Francis, who is the general manager there forever, um, is an absolute legend. And, and Nick Stevens, who was my coach in the under 18s year, they put a lot of confidence in me as well and, and really kind of pushed me um, to AFL clubs to, to kind of get on their radar and as well as in big country. And you know, I have a lot to thank to both of them and probably not just on a footy sense, but also just as a personal sense as well in terms of you know, life lessons that they taught me and, and understanding discipline and respect. And I think it was just a great culture of learning as well as kind of being good footballers, but being good kind of young men as well. Um, so they were absolutely incredible. And then James Byrne, who I briefly mentioned um, before, who was that development coach that got me over the line at the Bombers. Um, again, a massive influence for, for my early in my footy career, but kind of post-football, more importantly, he's been a huge influence in both my career and, and life um, outside of that. So certainly they're the people that really kind of stick out as both in a football sense, but also in a life sense, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. and your dream becomes a reality. You're, you're on... You're on an AFL list. Take us through the first year. Uh, how tough was it and um, what were some of the highlights as well? Yeah, I'd have to say probably the, the first year was one of the easiest years or probably the easiest year that I had. I think um, AFL clubs are quite good at, at balancing your load as a young person um, coming in. And, and as I mentioned, because I kind of post the season, was trying to train to then get a role, I come in really fit and um, – kind of was really kind of strong in, in pre-season. I think pre-season was one of kind of probably my, one of my strengths in terms of I was quite a good runner. Um, I'd kind of back up training really well. I recovered pretty well. So all those things were really in my favour. And I guess kind of leading into the start of the season, I was um, putting myself in the best position I could. I didn't get, didn't get close in um, round one, but played some good VFL games. And then round two, I was first emergency and then had a string of emergencies and carryovers after that. But um, certainly I guess that probably that, that preseason, although you, you come home and you go to sleep and you're not used to kind of having a full day at the club, whether it's weights in the afternoon, training in the morning, meetings and all that sort of stuff does kind of tire you out mentally and physically. But 
Um, I think for me, it was kind of just kept flowing on from the momentum that I had the previous year. And it really wasn't probably until my second year where I felt a little bit more pressure on kind of performing, making sure that I could cement my spot and, and how I was physically and all of those sorts of things. But in the first season, it's kind of like you're fresh, no one knows, no expectation, get out there and, and just have a crack. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned the emergency. Um... Uh, and uh, yeah, how challenging is it to prepare and be in that position, particularly when you haven't debuted yet? I can imagine that would be a real <laughs> mental fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit. I was just, I remember like, so round two, I think I was emergency six or seven times, like the carryover emergency before I played. And there's a couple of times where I had to travel, a couple of times I could go to the game, and then all right, no one's injured, head back to the VFL and play. And Mum and dad and Tom and everyone else would come up. <laughs> the whole family would come up from Gippsland, right. hope that potentially someone might get injured. All right, he's not doing that. He's going to be a foul. And then finally um, cracked it, cracked a gig in round 10 um, up in Sydney and uh, was lucky. Benny, again, I was emergency and Benny Howlett pulled out, I think, the day before the game. And um, I got my first opportunity at it. But we, we had a really good side. Um, I think we won the first maybe nine games of the year. Um, that year and the Bombers were absolutely flying. There's a few things obviously going on outside of that, but um, on field, everything was absolutely flying. So it was good to be a part of, of that as well and kind of see kind of what these blokes were doing and how they're getting up and how they played and kind of being in the stands and watching those different patterns and all of that sort of stuff was a really good kind of educational experience as well. Hey guys, I just want to take a small break to promote our episode with Brett Deledio. It was actually our first ever interview on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. So if you're enjoying this episode with Will Hams, make sure to head over to our episode one where we interview Brett Deledio on all things football, his career, as well as what he's done his post-career working in Hawthorne Football Club as a development coach, and he's now currently a player manager. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure to check it out. What's one of the biggest tips you could give a VFL player looking to make a step to AFL? Jeepers, that's a, that's a tough one. Like I, um, I think it's more about just what, how you how you train and prepare yourself. Like it's a, um, it is a it's a cutthroat industry. If you if you're battling away in the in the VFL, you probably need to ask yourself some real um, your coaches some real questions, or your or your dad or whoever watches you, and just get some some honest feedback and be be prepared to um, do whatever it takes to. Um, to work on that. If you're slow, then I, I, I uh, employ a, you know, a sprint coach. If you're, if you're lacking in fitness, well, speak to someone who does athletics uh, in 400, 800s and, and see what sort of training they do. If you need to do power-based stuff and weight stuff, well, speak to someone like yourself, you know. But yeah, yeah. if it's just pure football ability, like uh, it, it makes it really hard to um, – if you, if, you, if you can't find it, like, you can't find it, you know. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's sort of like there's so many different angles you could go with that. Now back to the interview with Will Hams. Thank you for listening. Let's go into that. It was a bit of a uh, a a rare time at the club to be drafted at the club. Um, When did you start picking up on things? Was it post career? Was it uh, a few years in um, with with some of the drug saga that was going on? Yeah, it was a it was a weird time. I mean, for me, I kind of got there um, the following year. So I think it was maybe my second week and um, we had a meeting to say that there was an investigation going on and um, I didn't really know what was happening, but 
Um, yeah. It seemed to be pretty big at the time and then you jump on the news and there's plenty going on and um, really kind of for the next four years, that was it. It was kind of twist and turn and, and everything else in between. But um, I guess I kind of did probably in our group, um, draft group probably did sit a little bit separate to that, but but also part of it in a, in a really kind of strange way. But yeah, it was certainly a challenging time um, for everyone kind of involved, um, uh, particularly, you know, the, the kind of boys that, that were part of it. And, you know, I'd certainly feel for them and, um, but also indirectly kind of everyone else around and staff and supporters and, and everyone kind of involved. It was just a, a crazy kind of four years. And um, I guess for me, that was the four years that I was in the system and, by the time it kind of cleared out, um, it was kind of retrospectively looking back, just thinking, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah. Um, but when you're when you're in the moment, you you just kind of again, it's a cliche, but you do take each day as it comes and like, okay, yeah, whatever, bubble. focus on the next thing, and you really are in a bit of a bubble. Yeah. So that is what it was, and I was just kind of focusing on kind of making a career and playing games and recovering from injuries and whatever else is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it certainly wasn't uh, a distraction for you personally, coming in, being drafted into that time. I don't think so. Not in that first year. It was actually kind of a really inspiring year. The way that um, a lot of the players just galvanized, and as I said, um, I think the boys won the first nine games in a row and played Geelong, who were also won nine games in a row, and we were kind of going really well. So it was re- pretty inspiring to to be a part of that. And as you as you. No, like you can't, you can't forecast what's going to happen in the next three years. So no one knew that it was going to drag on the way it was, but it was definitely a galvanizing experience to, to be a part of. And um, yeah, it was certainly an interesting first year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned um, uh, other challenges. So um, I guess start with, with injuries um, for, for players that maybe there might be some listening that are currently going through an injury. Uh, obviously, it's probably one of the hardest times as an athlete because uh, your body's taken away and you've got to do the things. You know, you've signed up to play the game of footy and suddenly now you've got to spend more time in the gym. You've got to be you know, doing the things that you potentially didn't sign up for. Um, how did you go about uh, approaching rehab and what were some things you learned along the way that made rehab more successful, I guess? Yeah, it was it was a tough one. So as I said, that first year you come in, your eyes are open, you're just having a crack. And then the following year, you want to make sure that you you improve on what you've just kind of laid out. And for me, I, I felt like I had a pretty good year. I played a couple of games in the seniors. I played good VFL, played a good final series. And so I was like, all right, it's my time. I want to make sure that I kind of cement my spot um, in, the senior to- in the senior side. So I'm going to do everything that I can in the preseason to make sure I come back kind of raring to go. And that was pretty much what I did. I didn't go away. I, I went just back home and just trained as, as much as I could um, and got back to preseason. more than the uh, club program? When you say as much as you could, did you do extras and, and that sort of thing or you just really brought maximum intensity to the program? Yeah, it was probably uh, um, quantity over quality, I think, and that was yep. certainly something that looking back, you, you want to kind of take back and you do understand kind of that, you know, putting the quality in, you don't have to do these ridiculously long sessions. If you have the quality in there, then you're going to see those benefits. And for me, that wasn't the way that I approached and, and probably not the way that a lot of young people really approach it because you just think more is better and, and that's what you do. So um, as I mentioned, I come back really good, tested really well, um, trained really well up into the Christmas break. And then probably a week after the Christmas break, when we got back, uh, I went down with what was pretty innocuous kind of hip injury. I 
essentially kind of lost all strength in, in one side and got some tests done and ended up seeing that I had a swollen kind of um, solace burst in my hip. Um, and from there, got a cortisone, it relaxed. I went to training again, um, started running again three days later and it just blew up again. And that was just this pattern for, oh, I don't even know how long and just kept kind of flaring up, flaring up. We just couldn't work out what was actually causing that, that flare up. And unfortunately for me, it didn't matter how much rehab that I did and, and kind of strength work that I did around my glutes or groins or everything else. It, it just wasn't fixing. So I ended up having to go into surgery and in the end missed the whole year just um, through that kind of, I guess, trial and error of just trying to fix that hip. And that was definitely a frustrating and, and challenging time. And as you said, I think um, as an athlete, all you want to do is, is perform and play and, and do kind of what you're paid to do and what your job is and, and also probably what you love. And definitely being in the gym wasn't something that I loved. Um, it was just something that came with, with the game and, and then you wanted to celebrate at the end on a weekend when, you, when you're winning and, and all those sorts of things. So definitely a challenging time um and yeah something that i kind of look back on i'm not sure what i'd do different as i mentioned kind of that definitely that quality over over quantity but um in my second in my third year rather um i ended up playing a few games early and then i think it was round six my other hip did the exact same thing and that put me out and, and effectively missed my kind of two middle years of my career so Pretty, uh, yeah, pretty challenging tough. time. And um, yeah. as you said, when you're an athlete and you really rely on your physical health to, as your kind of, as your tool, as your trade and not being able to do that was something that was really challenging. Yeah. And, and did you build, develop things outside of football at that stage of your career with the other areas that obviously you're focusing on your rehab, but that's yeah, two years of not playing a lot of footy. Were, were there other things in your life that you started to, to focus on to help, I guess, yourself mentally get through? Yeah, and, and probably the fortunate thing about um, getting injured is that you can have a think about what else you're doing outside of football. And uh, I definitely feel like I'm one of those people that, that does want to stay busy um, and always kind of wants to learn as well. So um, through kind of the what uh, the AFL and the AFLPA have set up, I did a number of kind of pathway courses and then uh, started my Bachelor of Business while I was um, still playing at the Bombers, which, you know, uh, was probably something that I just, I just wanted to do something. Um, yeah. And then when I finished the game, I was pretty thankful that I did and, and went on to finish that bachelor of business. And, um, you know, it's really helped me with my kind of professional career post the game. So that was something that, that really helped. But again, you know, I love to surf. I love to stay physically active and, and all those things that um, I wanted to do, I couldn't do. So it was really about finding other stuff that stimulated me mentally and socially and, and other ways that I could kind of keep my physical strength up as well. And that was really a discovery time um, for me. I felt in just exploring, you know, what I like and what I didn't like. Yeah. And going back to the, the highlights, like first game, being drafted, uh, playing finals, well, uh, and then obviously post-Essen, you, you were in a premiership side and, and played a ripping game, mate. Uh, <laughs> At Box Hill, what, what, looking back now, what, what, is some, well, what is the most fondest memory out of all those highlights? Yeah, I definitely think that that final series that we had at Box Hill um, in 2018 was probably, I've got goosebumps thinking about it now. I, you were part of it and it was just a crazy, crazy roller coaster um, coming into that final series. You know, we finished six, we won in overtime <laughs> and then the following week we, we had a good game against Geelong and then we won by a point in the prelim and then come from behind and, and won in the granny and that whole kind of 
come from behind victories that we had just was insane. And it, just, it is a bit of a blur, but it was definitely um, the, 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 the most highlight that I had in, in footy for by a long stretch. It was absolutely awesome. Yeah, I can I can only imagine the connection uh, amongst those weeks. It, it was bloody crazy week after week. Every every time, like you said, coming from six, you, you can't lose. And uh, yeah, the team really stepped up. The highlights reel at the end was was fun to watch. Um, how how when you look back at those memories, do you guys catch up? You know, a year post in 2019, or is it more a five year thing, ten year thing? What talk us through for a premiership group? Um, what is the connection like after? Yeah, it's a tough one because uh, a lot of us left um, and we're all going to leave at the end of that year. So it was really kind of like this last hurrah anyway. Um, I, I told Box Hill that I wouldn't be playing the following year. I was going to head away traveling um, with my, my girlfriend, Grace, and, and go away for six months and, and really take that opportunity. I just finished studying. So it was just a really good time to kind of finish up. You know, obviously winning the flag and going out on that note was just at an all-time high. Um, yeah. But you know, we, we do, we definitely got a, a group chat and we try to catch up, but um, yeah, Cobras obviously hasn't, hasn't played yeah. a great role in that like many others. Um, but I can you tell you what, you. I'm looking forward to a, a good <laughs> reunion and good catch up with the boys, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once the rain is gone, there will be uh, <laughs> summer, summer festivities. So that's awesome, mate. Um, and, and what about the, you know, talking about the, the positives with the game of football, um, those moments of, of winning finals and, and winning a premiership and part of a team, um, what does that do going into the following year? Like how does that, from a confidence point of view, but also from a team connection point of view for, for team success, how important is that uh, to be able to have that experience as a group? Oh, I think it's, it's everything. I think you see um, you know, in the AFL, you know, there's no coincidence that Hawthorne get a gel from, from winning one and they go on to win three in a row. You see Richmond do what they do. You're probably going to see Melbourne and the doggies be, be right amongst it. And I think, um, you know, team success breeds that confidence for everyone to step up and, and keep on that train and, and keep going. And, and you don't want to miss out as well. And I think for us at Box Hill, we um, lost in the prelim and got absolutely smoked by Richmond. Um, but it kind of still, we, we were kind of building something. And I think that group really kind of, galvanized after that and and we had a bit of a run we've kind of started slow and then and then built and, and got our momentum back and and finished really strong but I think getting that connection with your teammates for me I was only there two years the first year was a real kind of feeling everyone else out learning how do they play how does this work where am I um that second year was like, I feel comfortable I know who I, yeah, where I'm positioned in this team where I'm, where I'm running, I know what he's going to do. And, and you start building that game awareness with your teammates. So that was something that I really felt in that second year to kind of get us over the prelim hump and get us into the granny. Yeah. And, you know, there's, although there's a lot of talent in aligned clubs with, the, with a lot of the uh, VFL top players that make a game have come from an AFL list half the time or they're seriously good state league players. And then you, you, the rest of the team is made up of, of AFL full-time professional footballers. Um, not always are they the most successful in, in the state league. Uh, how, how much, how important is that connection? And for, for VFL or, or state league players that are listening in, how do you build that connection between the two groups, between AFL, VFL, do you think? Yeah, it is a hard one. You know, I come from one system where um, it was really kind of, Essendon was the, the VFL side as well. So it was really kind of strong continuant of 
you know, Essendon enlisted players. And, you know, we really kind of ran that show. And, um, and that's, that's how I felt anyway, sitting on that side. I'm not sure how the VFL boys felt, but um, we definitely had some good senior boys. Um, but probably for me on the AFL list as well, I was really always kind of thinking, not on my, just on my personal performance, but how can we win? How can I play well? How can I get into the senior side? And there was a different motive there. Um, where moving to Box Hill, I think they just developed such a great kind of culture and respect between the Hawthorne Footy Club and Box Hill and what Box Hill boys delivered. Um, and having, you know, not, not your own club, but it did feel a little bit like your own club. You still had the same rooms and, and that sort of stuff. And the boys would come and, and they were super respectful of um, the VFL players. And I think that was this really good kind of mutual respect. I think Casey seemed like they do it really well as well. So. I think that was something that was probably built long before I got there, but I definitely felt it um, when I arrived. There was a really good kind of respect between both. And, and even when um, you know, players were coming back from injury and we're talking about our senior players at, at Hawthorne at the time, they were, again, very kind of welcoming and inclusive, wanted to be there, wanted to support, wanted to play well so the team could play well. So um, I think kind of building that, if you can build that culture, you know, it does build success, not just in the VFL program, but in the AFL program as well. I strongly believe that. So by helping those players get better and becoming better, then um, you're only going to succeed as well. Yeah. Yep. And going back to that, how you mentioned at the start of the year, that Box Hill, the premiership year, that um, this would be your final year at the club. Uh, and then you're going for you know half a year trip, which was very well timed, uh, retrospectively, <laughs> mate, before uh, everything unfolded with your partner, Grace. Uh, so well played there. Um, what, what, what was you thinking at the time? Did you know you sort of had enough of playing professional footy? Was that the sort of idea and that you were going to give it one last hurrah before moving on to your next chapter? Like- yeah, I think, so. I think so. I'd probably already subconsciously kind of realised that all right, footy's probably not going to be there and started to really kind of have a look at myself and, and what I wanted to do and, and what drives my passion and drove my purpose and, and kind of, you know, who else was I without the game of football? I think for a long time as a kid and then obviously getting drafted that I felt like footy was really my identity and, and kind of who I was, but it was only really something that I did. So it was a real kind of defining moment around finding out who am I and what do I love doing outside of, you know, what was you know, a great time. So, um, yeah, I was still very kind of hopeful. I was putting everything into that final year and I spoke to a couple of clubs, but, certainly didn't go in with a lot of confidence that I would get drafted or anything like that. And um, as it turned out, I certainly didn't. And, you know, we had one of the, the best experiences in my life getting away and traveling through Central American States and meeting new people and, and having new experiences and something that, you know, I'll look back on for the rest of my life and, and think is a pretty defining moment in terms of the work that I do now as well. Um, so, Certainly kind of leaving the game, I, I, I love what I do. I, I love kind of the journey that I've had since and it's been, been awesome. So I certainly can't um, take anything kind of – I wouldn't change anything or anything like that or stayed in the system for any longer. I think for me personally, it was, it was my time to, to call it a day on that and, and look at other things that I loved and, and drove me as well as my um, partner, Grace. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. You, you can tell the way you go about it and your mindset that uh, you're not someone that – has regrets um so uh, yeah love that we'll, we'll go into the, the, the you know uh, the next chapter the, the, the using the degree that it probably if exercise science is a broad topic that everyone does because they love sport then business management would be a close second i reckon but uh <laughs> you, you've applied it you, you're a co-founder of liminal well-being for those that don't know 
what Liminal Wellbeing is. Can you give us a bit of an intro into the company you've created? Yeah, so essentially Liminal Wellbeing is a um, management platform designed for schools, youth programs, um, sporting organisations, essentially helping to support young people in seeking support, but also developing skills around their kind of mental health and well-being. And we look at that uh, in terms of their mental health, uh, their physical health and their social health as well. So what we've done is designed an app and a, a management platform that work part and parcel together. Um, the app's a resource for young people to check in, um, as I said, seek support, but, but more importantly, gain inspiration, education and skills around how to kind of create a, a preventative behaviours to support their, their mental health and wellbeing. Mate, and how did you come to create that? Like, was that while you were away, it was starting to, start, you know, the creative juices were, were flowing and you started to come up with the idea or, or is it something that once you came back, you, you started to, to work on it? Yeah, I think it was probably one a byproduct in, in my own life. Um, as I mentioned, when I was injured, I, I did so many different things um, to kind of support my mental health and my physical health. And then obviously that connection that I had socially as well was a big part of that. And, and I really experimented with um, different things. So whether that was kind of affirmations and positive self-talk, whether it was yoga, meditation, cold therapy, I was really big at kind of finding a, a real toolkit around um, what supported me. I guess the other side of things was that we, we you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that we have a lot of kind of mental health um, history within our family on both sides of the family, and that's mom and dad's side. Um, and so growing up, it was extremely prevalent around kind of doing the right things to, to kind of feel your best and whether that was the food that um, we put into our bodies, whether it was exercising, um, whether it was kind of you know, looking at drinking and drugs and that sort of stuff. Mum was very strong in um, making sure that we're doing everything that we could. So I think all of those things combining and then going away and, and traveling and um, looking at all these different experiences and the different ways that people kind of live their lives, just kind of combine myself in this passion for positive psychology. And um, coming back, I, I ended up getting a, a job with a student travel company uh, where we facilitated international programs for schools, taking young people to developing countries where they would have that backpacker type experience. They'd live in a local community and do a project. They would trek around and they'd kind of explore and lead the whole trip. And I just found it such an empowering experience having that kind of alternative learning um, outside of school. And, and school wasn't my thing. Um, and I found that with these young people, pro providing them this kind of other opportunity to learn in a, a real kind of uh, concentrated environment and, and kind of putting them outside their comfort zone was something that I was really excited by. But unfortunately with COVID, um, that, that put the nail in the coffin of, of that job pretty quick. And I was toying around with this idea of being able to kind of provide that on a, on a platform um, and being able to kind of combine what I'd learned in positive psychology what I'd learnt in kind of professional sport and the health and fitness industry and, and how you could combine all of those to be a really great kind of platform for young people to seek support easier, but more importantly, work out, you know, the strategies that work for them. Yeah, like you said, build a tool shed. I love that. Um, yeah, that, that concept of, of playing around and almost experimenting and having fun with it. Um, you know, there's no one answer, but if you've got that sort of curious mindset to, to play around with it and just like the physical side, the mental side's no different. Um, so playing around with and trying different methods, yoga, meditation, cold therapy. Um, so for, for, 
take us through for what is the app, you know, for without actually looking at it. I've had uh, the pleasure of looking at it when we caught up for a coffee and it seems like it's, um, you know, it, it's really seamless in the way that it works and it, and it communicates and triggers to teachers um, to, to alert them on, on a you know, particular student that might not be feeling so well. And it's, almost takes it makes it a little bit easier for young kids to communicate how they're going and then for teachers it makes their life a bit easier or coaches um to be able to you know look after a big group which it can be hard to get across to everyone at times um so take us through sort of i guess the purpose of it what what are you trying to to achieve with liminal well-being yeah exactly um what you said you know there are a lot of barriers in in young people kind of seeking support and and just like anyone knows the earlier that you do that and the earlier that you kind of get on top of things um the better um and for teachers they've got a bloody tough role super tough and even more tough throughout COVID um particularly kind of with online learning and and these sorts of things it's um you know one they've got to kind of teach the curriculum and and help young people learn but but also kind of have their second eye on, on how they travel in and, and can I be their kind of um, care supporter as well. So what we really try to do with Liminal is, is make that easier for schools, but <clears throat> also organisations as well. So the way the platform works is essentially with the app, um, students do a, a quick check-in or the individual does a quick check-in on their physical, mental and social health um, on a one to five scale, but it's designed a little bit differently. And that information then just, goes through the management system just to see how broadly the group is going, but, but just a quick idea around how that individual is going and, and flag anyone that may be struggling in, across those three areas. And really from there, the, the app is um, what I'd like to kind of call it a combination of what a lot of kind of meditations apps, so like a calm and a headspace, and then you might have a center app that's your physical health and combining that all into one to then be an organization tool as well. So um, we provide all of those resources to young people. So whether that's yoga sessions, whether it's fitness sessions, whether it's meditations, whether it's goal setting, um, all of these sorts of things that they can try out and, and find what works for them, um, as well as creating a kind of a content management platform for organizations to use where they can upload different inspirational videos, um, different kind of resources that they have available, guest speakers if they come there, and it's all centralized within the app. And then finally, um, a support function. So if a, a young person is struggling um, with anything, whether it's school related, whether it's um, home related, whether it's physically related, then they can reach out to the wellbeing team simply through their app. And it's definitely an alternative solution for them. We certainly encourage to build that rapport with their teachers and with their wellbeing teams, but it is something that they can kind of fall back on if they don't know how to ask and they don't know how to articulate their feeling. And um, kind of going back to the, the toolkit, analogy is certainly look at that kind of well-being and what we're trying to do is really provide them a suite of kind of resources and we kind of refer to as you know as a tradie the tradie's not going to rock up to site to build a house with a hammer uh he's going to have a bunch of different tools in his shed so we're thinking about their well-being in a similar way if, if you're relying on fitness and you break your ankle then you're probably going to struggle and you're not going to expect your well-being to be great but if you have a bunch of other stuff that you can rely on while you're recovering from that then you're going to put yourself in the best position. So that's really what we're trying to do is, is cover those three areas of physical, mental, and social quite broadly so they can build a bit of a wellbeing toolkit around them. That's amazing, mate. Love that. It's, uh, yeah, no doubt going to be doing big things. And I know the launch date uh, is fast approaching, which is super exciting for you. Uh, so schools, uh, football clubs, and, and organisations as well. So potentially 
a modern uh, business firm might look into this as well to look after their staff uh, from a wellbeing point of view. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I think that's certainly the track we're going. We're certainly looking at youth, so um, looking at different youth programs that they have within the community, um, YMCAs and that sort of thing, um, really being able to kind of empower them. So that's our avenue at the moment and potentially going down organisations at a later stage. But um, I think our passion from our team and our mission is really about kind of supporting young people um, at this point in time. Awesome, mate. Uh, congratulations. That's, uh, you've transitioned into the entrepreneurial world just seamlessly, mate. <laughs> Um, thanks mate as yourself (laughs) we'll go into the lighter side of the podcast the get to know will ham side so first one off the bat mate is uh which movie or tv series has impacted you to the most and why we've had plenty of time for this although you you probably haven't as much as others but the last couple of years netflix must have popped up at least one yeah big time i to be honest i i was trying to think of one and i i don't have anything that kind of really stands out um for me a big tv series watcher i love tv series over kind of movies so um i think probably my favorite all-time tv series i don't know if it's impacted me in the best way possible but i reckon i smashed entourage when i was a young fella about three times in a year i love that show so that's definitely my all-time favorite but i don't know if i've had too many impact you certainly walk away from some movies with some goosebumps and pretty pumped up um al pacino's speech and, and all those things but um, couldn't really put my finger on one that really got me going. Yep. Uh, in your work life, what, what are you, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Ah, uh, pet peeves. Again, there's probably not too much that really annoys me. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I really try and treat everyone equally and, and it does probably annoy me when, when others are disrespectful to people that they may not know or, um, for whatever reason. So that's probably something that, that kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. Um, but Again, there's probably not too much that phase me, really. Yeah. And favourite inspirational quote or life motto? <laughs> yeah, I'm a big <laughs> – so shit always works out. Um, I say this uh, whenever I have a crazy idea or try and go over something that's probably looking <laughs> a bit dodgy, um, I always say to my girlfriend, Grace, oh, shit always works out. And I'll probably rephrase it a little bit. It shit always works out if you put the dedication and the probably determination to make it do so. And I've lived it out that motto. I, I kind of do it with my work. I've done it with footy. I've done it with kind of everything that, you know, yeah. you take each day as it comes. Don't try and stress too far ahead because things will just work out. And if you, if you do so, then you'll find out that they do a few days later. Yeah, and no, I'm with you there. That resonates with me. The one I've, uh, it's clicked in my head for whatever reason. I think listening to someone else's podcast is what will be, will be, which pretty much is the same thing. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, what's your favourite way to spend your day off? You mentioned surfing. If you've got the day off, if tomorrow you don't have anything on, what do you, what do you like to do? How do you start and what are some activities? Yeah, big time. Get me in the water. I'm still not 100% sure why I live in Melbourne because um, it's not on the coast at all and there's no waves within an hour and a half. But, um, yeah, get me back home to the water. Yeah, we grew up on the coast. Mum's down in Inverloch. I love getting down there. So, Every opportunity that I possibly can, I just love to, to get in the water, get a surf in if it's flat, still get down in the ocean. I think it, it's kind of my place to, to reset and uh, especially with COVID, it was so challenging kind of being stuck indoors and I do get a bit weird when I haven't been down the, the coast for a while. So I think that's definitely my happy place. So if there's a liminal uh, retreat one day uh, and I sign up, there'll be surfing involved. Oh, big time. Uh, you can guarantee that. Maybe multiple <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. 
Um, this is a COVID-free world and you've done a bit of traveling, mate. So favorite holiday destination and, and why? COVID-free, I'd probably get back to Mexico in a heartbeat. Um, absolutely loved it there, um, both sides, west and east coast. Um, I haven't really explored the middle. It's a bloody massive country, so I'd love to go back there and explore some more of Mexico, but absolutely loved it. And as I said, we had a great opportunity to travel um, just before COVID, which is retrospectively quite fortunate, and, and did about three months traveling around Central America. But uh, get me back to Mexico. I loved it there. Mate, and we'll start to wrap it up the podcast. Thank you so much for, for jumping on and sharing with us your journey so far. Um, you've lived a full life, so no doubt there's been, I know I've got plenty from it, but also the listeners, whether you're a footballer or businessman, you'll, you'll get plenty from it. Um, what's on the horizon for you for the, the 2022 year? What are you excited about at the moment? Yeah, as you mentioned, we're um, kind of launching Liminal. So we, we trialed all last year and now we're kind of officially um, launching Liminal across schools and, um, and football clubs, uh, particularly around the VAFA. So that's going to be a really exciting start of the year, um, getting all of those going. And, and hopefully, yeah, it's going to be a big kind of half COVID-free normal year that we can get out and about. Um, we've got a lot of exciting stuff with the talks, um, different partnerships and and getting out there and trying to spread what we do as much as possible. So fingers crossed we can do that in person. Otherwise, uh, we might have to get on a few more podcasts with yourself. 100%, mate. Um, and for those that want to hear more about Liminal, where's the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, we're on all the socials, so LinkedIn and um, Instagram, Facebook. But jump onto our website, liminalwellbeing.com.au. Um, explore around and, and reach out. Um, I think... My details will probably be on the show notes after this. So if you are a teacher, uh, a parent, if you're um, part of a football club and you're interested in what we have to offer, um, please do reach out and we'd love to chat and, and tell you more about it and, and hopefully get um, your organisation involved. Yeah, no doubt. I reckon there'll be some people that will. We'll definitely chuck your details in the um, show notes. Um, we have a, a equal uh, sort of values in terms of a holistic approach to mental and physical well-being and, and performance in life. So uh, hopefully um, some people get in touch, mate. And yeah, thanks again for jumping on. And, and thank you for all the listeners that have tuned in live. This episode will be released very shortly on our podcast. For the time being, you can watch it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Will, mate. Uh, have you got any sort of last messages for the listeners? Oh, I reckon everyone's probably heard enough from me. Uh, but no, nah, thanks a lot for having me on, mate. It's been been a blast. And uh, yeah, thanks for everyone for tuning in. Awesome. And our next live chat, guys, will be next Thursday. It's actually our first collaborator event. So super excited for this one. We've got five AFL sport dietitians joining us. They've all been on the podcast individually. So Jess Benlove from GWS, Rebecca Alcock from Melbourne, Ben Parker from Gold Coast Suns, Pip Taylor from Brisbane, and Simone Austin, who worked at Hawthorne. So if you're interested to hear more information, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, which you can find that on the Prepare Like a Pro website. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that fire you up oh this one is always uh, so i suppose it is um 
it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, like game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um do physically that um you wish you either knew or did um back at the beginning of your career uh what are some of those things Mm, yeah good question um yeah so i suppose with perspective on life um that sort of point um it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and and didn't probably have that as much um when i was younger um I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things Mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah, and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. 
The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.